This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners. Today we have Tom Wright, CPA and author of this book, Tax-Free Wealth. Kind of following along what the club was doing these last month, we did uh, Tom's book's Tax-Free Wealth for the book club. Um, you guys can check that out at simplepassivecashflow.com backslash tax, where we kind of go through it a mastermind format. And the um, by now, the mastermind should be open. So if you guys are interested in applying for that, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash journey. But, uh, good morning, Tom. I'm really uh, jumping on here. Absolutely. Happy to do it. So I, I read the first Tax-Free Wealth that came out. I don't know when that is, but you recently introduced this newer version released 2008, I believe, because of the new tax changes? Yeah, originally, the first one came out in 2012. We redid it for the 2017 uh, changes in the tax law. It just came out a couple of months ago. Yes, yeah, so I think the biggest takeaway that I got that the book brought about me was you talked about four different types of income, right? You, you want to kind of go over that for the folks? Because that really cleared things up for me. Well, so, so the key is, is that how much tax you pay depends not just on how much income you have, but how you earn that income. You know, if you look at an employee, if you earn your, your income through wages, you're going to be taxed differently than, you, than if you're in that same amount of income as a professional investor or a business owner. Okay. Really, we think four different uh, types of income. We have really self-employment income. We have earned income. We have portfolio or capital gain income, and we have tax-free income. We, we really have different types of income, and that determines a lot on how much tax you're going to pay. I think a lot of people hear about, you, know, you, wanna, you don't want to really flip houses because then they'll be taxed at a higher rate. You know, you'd rather hold on to an asset, like rental property, for example, and it gets taxed at a lower rate in the long-term capital gains. You want to kind of explain the, the, the differences just in the numbers of those yeah. two? Well, so let's just kind of walk through. You could actually, you could have an investment in a single family home and you could be taxed anywhere from the highest possible tax rate to absolutely no tax at all. If you started with the highest tax rate, which would be, it's earned, it's actually self-employment income. So when you're flipping houses as a self-employed person, then not only are you paying tax on the, on the income, income tax, but you're also paying self-employment tax to 16.2% on that. You've got 37% federal income tax plus 16.2% of self-employment tax, the highest income possible. That's you're flipping houses. If you then take that and you decide, okay, but I'm going to form an entity. And in this case, it'd be an S corporation. S corporation, the dividends or the distributions from an S corporation are not subject to self-employment tax. You can effectively significantly reduce that 16.2% all the way down to somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 or 6%. So that kind of turns it from self-employment income to ordinary income. If you hold the property as a rental, now what you've done is you've taken it from that 37 plus 16, say, Know, 50 50 percent plus and you take down all the way to 20 percent okay because capital gains are taxed at 20 percent but then if you just hold it and you do a like kind exchange with it and we call that buy borrow die where you buy the property 
you hold it, you, you hold it, and then in order to get cash flow from it, you actually borrow from it. The depreciation on it is going to offset the cash flow uh, deductions. And what'll happen is, is that when you do a 1031 exchange, which is just trading it for another property, just you should keep doing that. Eventually, you're not gonna pay any capital gains tax. Eventually you die. When you die, all the tax goes away by, by function of the law. What happens is you can go all the way from a 53% tax rate to a 0% tax rate, depending on what you do with the property and how you deal with it when you sell the property. All right. 2018 kind of brought about a whole bunch of changes in the tax law. Did. You know, kind of the first one here that I, I think, you know, by going through those four categories, something that really became apparent was the, you know, the 21% corporate tax rate came down, right? And that kind of repatriotized a lot of right. So how does that work? I mean, there, there's sort of a game between, you, know, you got to figure out where you fall in that 21%, if it makes more sense to get taxed from the corporation standpoint. Well, so you really have a choice when you form your entity, if you're going to be taxed as a corporation or a pass-through entity. And if you're flipping real estate, you're probably not going to be, want to be a regular corporate entity because you want to be able to take the money out of that entity to live on, to do other things with. Um, maybe to do some investing with outside of your flipping. You, you probably don't want to be a, a, what we call a C corporation. That's the 21% bracket. The reason you'd want to be a C corporation is if you're going to take all, if you're in a business where you're taking all the money from your business and reinvesting it, and eventually you're going to sell the business. So you're not really taking money out because the, the problem with that 21% rate is, yeah, you get 21% now, but any money that you take out gets taxed a second time. So you're still in a high tax bracket if you're in a C corporation, if you're pulling the money out of the company. What we want to do is, is instead of being a C corporation, if we're going to pull money out of a company, we probably want to be a pass-through entity like a S corporation or a partnership. And then if you're, a, if you're investing in real estate, so you're a long-term hold, we don't want to even in S corporation, we'd like it to be in a partnership and LLC tax is a partnership or, I mean, that's really the best one. You could be an LLC taxes, sole proprietorship and be okay too. We just, we probably want to stay away from that corporate form though for most investment real estate. And can, would you be able to explain for the folks the, the whole pastor entity thing? Cause I, I admit, I, for sure. I don't really understand it. And I've, I've heard it a lot of times and I'm to the point where I'm just like, well, I'm just going to give it to my professionals and they're going to figure it out. I mean, well, it's, it, it's actually pretty simple. So there's two types of companies. Okay. There's taxable companies and there's pass through companies. A taxable company pays tax inside the company itself. So if you earn $100,000, the company pays tax on $100,000, and that's that 21% rate. Then when it distributes money to you as an individual, you pay tax again on dividends, typically in a 15% tax bracket. If you had $100,000 and you pay 20, let's say you make it easy, you pay 20% tax on that, you'd have $80,000 left over. You distribute that. $80,000, you're going to pay tax a second time on that $80,000. Okay. That's the double tax of being a taxable entity, like a C corporation. The pass through the idea is that it only gets taxed once rather than the corporation or the company paying tax. 
the owners pay tax, okay? In other words, the taxable income passes through to the owners and there's no tax at the corporate level. The owners pay tax at their individual tax rates. What happened in 2017 is we got a new deduction for pass-through income. And that new deduction is effectively equal to 20% of the pass-through income. Instead of having a maximum tax rate of 37%, our maximum tax rate is 29.6% because of that 20% deduction. Mm -hmm. The tax laws, they kind of brought about a lot of changes. In my opinion, it simplified things a lot. And for us in real estate investors, and especially passive investors, a lot of good changes. But I think it, the a lot of miscellaneous deductions got taken away that are kind of killing the average W-2 worker. What are some of those, those things that got taken away from the, so, from the people that so probably need it the most, right? So you'll love this. All investment deductions went away unless you're in real estate or in oil and gas, okay? If you're invested, like you're invested in the stock market and you pay a stockbroker, that deduction is no longer there. You no longer, if you are an investor, you don't get to deduct your tax preparation fees. You don't get to deduct your employee business expenses. You don't get to deduct moving costs if you move from one, one city to another to take a new job. You only get to deduct a portion of your state income taxes. A lot of deductions went away, and in exchange, we got a big standard, a standard deduction of $24,000 for a married couple or $12,000 for a single person. What happened was is that, yeah, the employees really got a lot of deductions taken away, but the real estate investors did really well because what we got in real estate that's most important is bonus depreciation on real estate is huge. I mean, consider that if you could buy a million dollar property, put $200,000 down and end up with a $300,000 deduction the first year. So you put 200 in, borrow 800 from the bank and get a $300,000 deduction the first year. So you're basically getting a deduction equal to 150% of your investment in the first year. Yeah, for, I mean, for people who don't realize, I mean, I mean, if you put in like a hundred grand as a limited partner in a deal, you're seeing anywhere from like 30 to $60,000 coming back in depreciation just in year one. Actually, actually this year, you should see a lot more than that. Um, and to, if you put it in in 2018, you should see depreciation coming back as much as 150000 for oh, that wow. 100000 you put in. That, that, that was, I think, in 2017. I went in a deal like in December. Of course, we didn't that, make any money. But. Right. So you should have gotten, you could have gotten bonus depreciation in 2017 if you'd done a cost segregation. So that was one of those rules that kind of went into effect and then didn't really kick in until 2018. Actually, that rule kicked in in September of 2017. If you, you had invested in a deal in December of 2017, you could have gotten that tax benefit. Wow. Well, we'll see this year in the next coming few months. <laughs> Absolutely. You kind of talk about in your book about, you know, there's, there's a spectrum of good, good CPAs and bad CPAs, just like good lawyers, bad lawyers, good engineers, sure. good doctors, bad doctors. Um, you know, of course, you don't want to work with the H&R blocks and the, those folks of the world. Um, but for the lay person like myself, we always ask like, well, how the heck do we know, right? So some of these, the concepts that you talk about, the little more exotic things, 
um, maybe we can talk about that a little bit to give the folks a little bit um, firepower to kind of ask the right questions to see if you get the deer in the headlight look from your, your perspective, CPA. It's the first one. You kind of mentioned that um, the oil and gas investments. Sure. Maybe talk about that a little bit. You know, why is there such a, a deductions there? And, you know, this would be a good one to tell that CPA. <laughs> well, well so really what I'd be looking for in a CPA is how do they see the tax law? Most, unfortunately, most tax preparers and tax advisors, CPAs or not, are pretty much scared to death of the tax law and they're scared to death of the IRS. If, if your CPA tells you not to take a deduction that's a legitimate, legitimate deduction, like a home office deduction, for example, that's a legitimate deduction, I would just say next, you know, let's look for another, another tax guy. If, if your CPA is afraid of the law, I mean, and, and the way you tell is you're going, okay, so what's your view of the tax law? If, if, if I'm going to pay less taxes, how do I pay less taxes? And the answer to that is all you have to do to pay less taxes is change your facts. You want to, you want to change your tax to you change your facts. That's what I'm always saying. And because what happens is, is that taxes are very facts and circumstances and something that's not deductible for an employee may be deductible for a business owner or an investor. There are tax, the, the tax law is literally a series of thousands of incentives for business owners and investors. Really, do you look at the tax law as a positive, that this is a roadmap for reducing your taxes, or do they look at it as, oh, we need to protect against an IRS audit, and that's what we need to do above all, okay? If, if you're, seriously, if your tax advisor is afraid of the IRS, you need a new tax advisor because a, a good tax advisor will never be afraid of the IRS. Right. Yes. I mean, some of the, the good example of that is like myself and, you know, before I was just a passive investor, but then now I started to do this podcast, start to uh, bring other investors with me. And now whenever I travel anywhere, I pretty much can have, I just shoot it out. I'm not, I mean, I'd like to, I'd like to see you guys and hang out with you guys, but part of it is to write off my flight, to be honest, you know, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're business trips and it's the way I've changed my, my facts around like how you say. Well, and, that, and that's it. So, you know, really, I, you know, I just be asking, so how can I reduce my taxes? I mean, I think that's the most important question you can ask is, and if they say, well, you know, you should, uh, here's, a, here's an answer I, I actually hear a lot that I hear a lot of investors get. Well, you're making a lot of money. So you should just be happy that you're making so much money. And you, if you want to pay less tax, you should make less money, which is, by the way, the dumbest answer ever, okay, for that question. because the more money you make, actually, if you make it the right way, the less tax you pay. So the more assets you have, the less tax you pay. If you're earning your money, if you're earned income, like, like an employee, yeah, the more money you make, the more taxes you pay. But if you're making money as an investor, then the more money you make, you actually should pay less and less tax because you have more write-offs. Like the oil and gas, for example. These days, you can invest $100,000 in an oil deal and get a $100,000 deduction the first year. That's how big the deduction is because the government is saying, look, we recognize that there is risk in you investing in that oil de deal. And because of that risk, we're willing to share that risk with you. So you're just partnering with the government. The government's saying, look, we'll give you a 40% tax benefit. You put up 60%, we'll pull up, put up 40%. And that's really what's going on. 
I was always frustrated by the numerous investing education programs out there who gouge their investors, charging them $5,000, $10,000, even $40,000. I don't know about you, but I thought it was completely wrong when they tricked people, actually had them call their credit card providers to get a credit line increase to pay for the program. Many of these people could not afford these expensive coaching options and should have used it as a down payment for the first investment. If someone only had 20 grand, they should use that to buy a rental to get started. Let me make one thing clear. Our mastermind is not for you if you're broke. It's a cost-effective way to mitigate mistakes when building your portfolio. People in this group are going to be a pre-selected population of professionals and high net worth individuals. You'll be a good in company. That is after you apply and get in at simplepassivecashflow.com backslash journey. And yeah, if you're lonely and struggle to find motivated friends who want to do more than sit at their W-2 jobs, collecting a paycheck, then go home and watch Netflix all day because all they can afford is $8.99 a month on their digital entertainment budget, then this is a place for you too. Simplepassacashflow.com backslash journey to learn more. Uh, you know, in your book, you said that if you're investing in real estate deals or getting, you know, going into these type of investments where, where they're tax advantage, you should be paying like about a third of what the average person is paying in tax. And you, I'm just going to tell you, you hit it right on the, on the ball with my 2017 return. I think I paid like 12 or 14% effective. So you're, you're right on there. And it is exactly because of all this stuff you've been talking about. Right now, if you're a serious real estate investor, I mean, it, the, the book's called Tax-Free Wealth, right? Not Tax-Reduced Wealth. And literally within, from the time you start real estate investing, anywhere from three to four years out, you should be paying zero tax. So another, um, you know, a lot of guys, they come to me and, you know, they've got like three, 400 grand in their 401k. And I kind of talk them into <laughs> with taking that out and start investing in that on their own. One of the biggest, you know, obviously that's going to blow up their AGI and, and push their taxes very high as ordinary income. One of the, the ways that we try and get that down is with um, land conservation easements. Maybe we can talk about oh. the little bit of that just so people are armed when they go talk to their CPA to, to see if their CPA knows a thing or two about that. Yeah, let, uh, let's get to that. But let me, let me give you a really cool example. I was talking about bonus depreciation earlier. And let's say you took that $400,000 out of your IRA, okay? So you take $400,000 out. And so you have $400,000 of taxable income now, right? Plus a 10% penalty. Okay, but let's say that you took that money and you went and borrowed from the bank 80% loan to value and you bought a $2 million building, okay? So $400,000, you should be able to buy a $2 million building, right? On that $2 million building, you should get a deduction equal to $600,000, 30% of that. So that $600,000 deduction will offset that $400,000 of income. On top of that, it will offset other income that you might have during the year. And I've run these numbers a number of times, and most people are actually have a net tax benefit if they pull the money out of the IRA and fully invest it in real estate with adequate leverage. So you can actually make money tax-wise by pulling the money out of the IRA, even though you've got that 10% penalty because the bonus depreciation should offset all of that income. 
So you don't even have to do a conservation easement. So a conservation easement is basically a tax shelter and it's, it's a, it's a um, allowed tax shelter. It's um, the, a lot of CPAs are scared to death of them because there's very serious reporting. There's um, potential penalties from them. They're legal. They're absolutely legal. And uh, you, you have to be a little careful with who you, who does the conservation easement because it's a risk that if they do the conservation easement, but they don't do it right, you might not get any deduction, okay? Or you might get a severely reduced deduction. So just like any investment, you have to do your due diligence and make sure that you're getting in with somebody who's doing it well. But a conservation easement certainly is, and it's a charitable deduction, by the way. So it goes on Schedule A. It's a charitable deduction. It's above for, the line. For, it, it's below the line. Below it's the actually, line. it's a below the line deduction. So it actually, it's, a, it's an itemized deduction. And there's, I don't have any issue with them, but I will tell you that investing in the real estate with a sufficient leverage and a cost segregation is much less risky and will get you more benefits than a conservation easement. What does it take to make one cup of coffee? What are the stories contained in a single cup? Who is this handsome man? kids these days are investing in the latest fad like tech or cryptocurrency. If I had learned anything these past few years watching the wealthy is that they invest in the most boring stuff and the basic commodities. What is more of a necessity than coffee? To learn more about this boring investment, check out simplepassivecashflow.com backslash coffee. So, so I'm starting to like get out of uh, multifamily apartments a little bit. How, how does the bonus depreciation look for, um, you know, if you're looking at apartments compared with mobile home parks or maybe like an assisted living facility that's you a know what? equipment? It's, it's all good. I mean, it, it's just all good. So what you have to do, and this is a term that, by the way, you ask about, you know, when you're talking to your CPA, okay, talk to them about cost segregations because a cost segregation is the way you get that bonus depreciation at its maximum level. So you, you really have to do a cost segregation. All it means is that you hire a professional, typically an engineer and an accountant um, combined, and you hire a professional going do a, an analysis of your property to break it down or segregate it into four types the, the, really the four things that you paid for. You paid for the land, which gets no depreciation. You paid for the building, which gets a little bit of depreciation. But where it really gets exciting is you also paid for the land improvements, like the fencing and the lighting and um, the landscaping. And then you also paid for the contents, like the window coverings and the flooring and the cabinetry and all of that kind of stuff. Well, the window cap, the, the, the contents and the land improvements get bonus depreciation, which means, and typically that's about 30% of your cost, somewhere between 20 to 30% of your cost. Well, bonus depreciation is a 100% deduction the first year. So that means that 
between your land improvements, if you do a cost segregation between your land improvements and your contents, you, you get a deduction up to 30% of the purchase price of that property, whether it's assisted living, commercial property, multifamily, cost segregations are really underutilized and they're a very important part of tax planning. So I'm on board with you on the whole cost seg. And if you guys want to get my, um, my page on that simplepassivecashflow.com backslash cost seg, S-E-G, and you can read more about that. Um, but so Tom, I'm on board with the whole cost seg and going into deals, but there's a lot of investors that just picked up the rich dad, poor dad book maybe six months ago, and they're not quite ready to go plump down 50 grand here and 50 grand here as a, on a, as a passive. What are some sure. other um, things other than the land conservation easements and the oil and gas that W2 workers can get in to whack that AGI down? You know, real estate, oil and gas are the two best uh, for sure. Some kind of real estate, some kind of oil and gas. A conservation easement's really a real estate investment. Okay, so you know, when, when the other, of course the third, I mean, there's agriculture, there's, uh, there's businesses, there's uh, research and development in businesses, but somebody who's an employee who's just starting out, honestly, the best thing they can do is get educated. So before you ever start investing, have a huge recommendation, and that's why I like podcasts like yours, where you're giving people the education, and the more educated they get, the lower their risk is. Yeah, I guess if you guys are kind of, you know, still in that infancy stage, not ready to pull the trigger or anything, I recommend maybe just putting a little bit of cash in your infinite banking system just to buy you time and at least you're doing something. But yeah, just like Tom says, you got to get off the bench and start putting money in deals. Uh, so there's, um, this, this is my, my question here, Tom. Um, you know, as a syndicator, can we write the, um, the PPM in a certain way where we give when we instead of giving our investors distributions that we can call it return of capital so it doesn't come up as as returns is that well, something you can do or what what what, what really happened okay so this goes back to your question about what's what is a pass through because your deals are passed through deals which means that whatever net income whatever net income there is regardless of the distribution Okay, so you kind of have to separate out distributions from income. And that's a hard concept. You just have to think, okay, distributions are not taxable, period. Distributions are not taxable. So you don't have to worry about distributions. What you're worried about is, how do I reduce my net income? And the way to do that is a cost segregation. The way to do that is depreciation. So the depreciation is a non-cash deduction against your cash income. So if you had cash income, for example, let's say your cash flow was $10,000 and you had depreciation of $10,000, then even though you distributed $10,000, the tax would be zero because your net income is $10,000 of income minus $10,000 of depreciation. So the key is, is, is your deductions. Another issue that I think uh, syndicators uh, don't always take advantage of because their CPAs don't understand it is that we have, in 2014, we got new regulations on classifying something as a repair versus a capital improvement. The difference is a repair is deductible. A capital improvement has to be depreciated. 
So anything we can change, we can, de we can deduct as a repair is a, is a way to offset that income that would otherwise be taxable on their K-1. So what we really want to do is we want to maximize deductions through repairs and depreciation. And then the other thing to remember is that in order to continue, you know, let's say you get this big bonus depreciation the first year. Well, that means next year you're not going to get the big depreciation. So real estate investing has to become an addiction. You have to do it over and over and over again. Because if you just do it once, then year two, you're going to get, you're going to hit with, with, with taxable income. But if you, if you invest again in year two, you're going to get another big tax deduction. You invest again in year three, you're going to get another big tax deduction. The more you invest, the less tax you pay. And, and that kind of flies in the face of that, that age-old advice, buy and never sell, right? That's, that's what a lot of people operate on. You know, you know, you can buy and never sell, but what you have to do is you need to still take the money out. So that might be refinancing it, right? Refinancing, debt's not taxable. So, you know, a, a great, this is the buy, borrow, die strategy, right? You, so you buy something, you can hold it as long as you want. But then in order to take the cash out, you borrow, you refinance the property, you know, as you build up your net, net operating income, you know, or your, or your cap rates go down, you can then refinance that property. You can pull cash out. That's not taxable cash, okay, because it's, it's debt and debt's not taxable because eventually you're going to have to pay that back right? So you just keep, you refinance over the years. You can actually hold it. You can hold it until you die. Or you can sell it, do a 1031, buy a new property and do that again. Um, but the reality is, it's really just how you're doing it as you do it. You know, just don't, don't be selling that and paying tax on the gain. That's crazy. All right. So, so with normal depreciation, you're taking it out in what, 27 years or so. Right. But with the bonus depreciation, how does it come out? I know you get a big chunk in the first year, but then the, the first five, 10 years then? Well, it, 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 with bonus depreciation, you get a big chunk the first year, and then it's 27 and a half years for the rest. Okay. 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 So you're taking, instead of five to 10 years, you're getting it in one year. That's what bonus depreciation does. So again, it, it, if you're on that, that shorter timeline, you're repositioning a property three to five years, and that's, that's optimal like kicking that can down the road well i like i said if as long as you're as long as what you're doing is the way you're getting the money out is is it either borrowing it or do a 1031 exchange then you're not going to have to pay tax anyway now even with bonus depreciation here's an interesting here's some interesting numbers let's say that you sell a property in 2019 and you're going to buy another property, you actually may be better off paying the tax, not doing the 1031, and buying the new property and taking bonus depreciation on the new property. So a 1031 in the, for the next few years, while we have bonus depreciation, may not give you the best tax consequence. Right. Got it. So kind of switching gears a little bit for, um, you know, we're in a kind of a bull market here. People have primary residences where it's gone up in value, um, you know, well, well above the $250,000, $500,000 gain. What, what options do they have? Is a delay sale trust something they want to use in the situation to shelter that tax? 
You know what? I, the, the, the challenge is, is you're delaying the cash, right? So the question uh, for me, I want the cash now. So I'd rather pay the capital gains. It's not that high of a rate. It's going to be 15 to 20% and take the cash. But here's the thing. Let's say, okay, so let's say that we sold the house and let's say we sold it for $700,000 of gain. So we have $200,000 of capital gain, right? We're married. So we have $200,000 of capital gain. But we take that, that $200,000 and invest it in investment real estate. The depreciation on the new property is going to more than offset the $200,000 gain. So recognizing the gain is not necessarily a bad thing. Right. But then that, and that's predicated on going into deals, guys. <laughs> it is. That's right. It's all predicated on investing. The more money you invest, the less taxes you pay. So you've got, man, these guys got good questions. Um, one more question here on what, what do people do for their health ex expenses? You know, a lot of people are using the high deductibles to get the health savings accounts. What, what's your best um, tax advantage ways of kind of people to pay, pay that medical expense? Well, there, there's two ways. I mean, an HSA is a legitimate way because it's pre-tax, pre right? So you can get the deduction. Um, the other way is if you have a corporation that let's say you're the only employee of that corporation, you can do a medical expense reimbursement plan and you get the whole thing deducted at the corporate level. So, you know, an HSA or a medical expense reimbursement plan are really the two ways to uh, take care of that medical expense. Got it. Got it. And um, I think the, the last question here is more of a personal question. So if I'm going to get a lot of these, um, man, 2018 is going to be a big loss year on paper for me. It sounds like if you're, if you're, it could be. It could be. so I'm not gonna be able to take all those, those losses. They're just going to be piling up in an act a uh, passive loss bucket. That's my understanding. Uh, if, if you're passive, if you're, if you're passive, then they're going to pile up. Um, but you know what? A good tax advisor should be able to get those, um, make those available for you. There are ways to make passive losses available. It's not the end of the world. I mean, it, it carries over forever. So, you know, you're, you know, let's say you got a big loss this year. Next year, you don't have that depreciation, but you've got that loss carry forward. And so it offsets the income and you may offset your income for the next five years. All right. So I think a lot of people are in this, 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 um, this category where, and I'll have them go pull up their taxes and we go look at that page and where they, they show how much passive losses they're take, they yeah. have in their bucket and it's usually like 200, 400,000 and they just can't possibly take it. Um, partially because it's, you know, none of the, uh, the, the husband or wife isn't a real estate professional. But and that, that is more a function of your tax advisor than the tax law. I will tell you, I, I, I have, I have clients or doctors that are using their passive losses. I, I, there is almost always a way to use those passive losses. It, there's just, it just takes some sophisticated tax planning from a good tax advisor. And if your tax advisor isn't getting you those passive losses, you may want to consider looking for a new tax advisor. So if, if a doctor is working for 40 hours a week, is it coming from them or their spouse? That's, that's the real estate professional side. Maybe that neither one's a real estate professional. Understand that passive losses 
are not non-deductible. Passive losses are only deductible against passive income. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the key, everybody focuses on how do I make the passive losses non-passive? That's great. But let's say you can't. Let's say husband and wife are both, like my wife and I both work full time, right? I mean, we work no, I mean, uh, I can't remember the last time we worked only 40 hours in a week, right? So how do you make those passive losses deductible? Well, what you have to do is you have to change some of your income from active income to passive income. So the, sometimes the tax planning is about creating passive income, not changing the character of the passive loss. It's the other side of the equation. And you just have to look at, let's look at both sides of the equation. Could I make it non-passive? That would be great. Or can I take active income and make that active income passive? So could I turn my business income into passive income? And there's a lot of ways to do that. Got it. Got it. So how does a, like a W-2 employee turn that active into a passive? Well, you got to have a business. Got a it. W, if you're just a W-2 employee, you're basically SOL. I mean, they're... The, the tax law is stacked against you. Got it. Got it. Well, cool. Um, I, I think a lot of people are kind of, their heads probably spinning a little bit. Maybe talk about a little bit about how do people determine if their CPA knows a thing or two? I think we armed them with a little bit of information, but if you were to ask the CPAs one question, what would it be? It, it would be, how do I reduce my taxes? I would literally ask them, how do I reduce my taxes? Because you're going to get more times than not. What answer you're going to get is make less money. Worst answer in the world. Why would you ever want to make less money? So there's thousands of ways to reduce taxes. I'll tell you, on average, when we get a new client, we're reducing their taxes by 10 to 40% within three months. On average, some of them, I have a, I have a, a doctor that he, t he actually showed me, and I, I mean, I knew this inherently, but he goes, you know, you reduce my taxes the first year by about 50%, but in, within three years, he's going to be to zero. And that's a doctor, and by the way, he's making seven figures as a doctor, and he's able to reduce his taxes that much. Now, he's very actively involved in investing and reducing his taxes. So there are things that he's doing to make, to make that happen. Um, but the reality is, is that anybody can. They just have to understand how the law works and take the actions that's necessary to change their facts so that they can get that reduced taxes. <laughs> reducing your taxes... It's the easiest way to put and the fastest way to put money in your pocket. And all that money is now available to invest in more deals, which creates more tax benefits, which lowers your taxes again, which gives you more cash to invest in more deals. And it's just, it, it, it just feeds itself. It's amazing. So you started this, um, this new company, WealthAbility Network. Um, yes. A couple of years back. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. And I think that'll kind of give people an action plan moving forward. So what we, dis what, what we, <laughs> we kept having people come to us and say, I'm like, I, I keep talking to my CPA. They can't do this. I can't find a CPA. Can you, can you help me find one? And we, 
you know, we can only take so many clients ourselves. So what we did was, is we have developed a network of CPAs, okay? And we're continuing to develop that network. So by the way, if you like your CPA, but they don't understand this stuff, have them come to us at wealthability.com. And I'd love to talk to CPAs as well, because we're, what we're working on is completely, completely revolutionizing the CPA profession, the tax profession, so that as many people as possible, as many CPAs as possible, understand how the tax law really works and then can serve their clients better. But if you do, if you just, if, if, if you want to take the easy out, you know, all you have to do is come to wealthability.com and we'll, we'll, we'll find you a CPA. Cool. Well, I appreciate it, Tom. Thanks for um, jumping on and, and uh, one of these days I'll, I'll see you in Texas or something. I saw her last time and signed my book. A new book. Absolutely. Happy to. Anytime. <laughs> Happy to be here. All right, guys. Well, um, yeah, check out the, the our tax little tax guide of all different ideas that people in the mastermind came up with. Again, it's not a not legal or professional advice, but you can check that out at simplepassivecashflow.com backslash tax. And we'll see you guys next time. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.